Good morning. I hope everybody's had a great week this week. You know, I know we're excited about next week. You know, last Sunday here by myself in the sanctuary, that excites me. I am raring to go next week, so I can't wait to see you then. Remember, we need to have your reservations, so make sure you contact me through my phone, through text messaging, through Facebook messaging, call the office so we can set you up. We have a limited seating and a 9 o'clock service in the Fellowship Hall. And then we have our bigger service here in the sanctuary at 11 o'clock. But we need to know which service you're going to be at so we can make sure we are following the guidelines that they've set apart. But beyond that, man, I'm excited about next week. Now, as we start today, as we come to our, our, our service, our uh, sermon you know, I, I was thinking this week, I once saw a quote by Toby Mac. I don't know if you know who Toby Mac is. Uh, he is a Christian rapper, Christian hip-hop artist. Uh, he's, he's, a, he's a good guy. He's a decent guy. But he had a quote once that just struck me wrong. Um, and it really struck me wrong because people were loving the quote. They were just saying how wonderful it was and how it was so uplifting and everything else. And the quote, I couldn't shake this feeling that there was something wrong with it. What he said was, don't let somebody with the significance of a speed bump become a roadblock in your life. And I thought, what? I was unsettled by this because I don't think that anybody in God's eyes has the significance of a speed bump. I think everybody's significant to God, and so I don't think any believer should view anybody in their life truly as insignificant, to say that they're a speed bump. Now, Carrie has taken a lot of flack in our marriage for school, her stance on school, that she, uh, she didn't finish college uh, right when we got married. She, didn't, she hadn't finished college yet because she made a choice. She made a choice that rather than go and get a degree that uh, she wasn't sure she was going to use, she wanted to be a mom. That was her calling in life. That's what she knew that she needed to do was to be a mom. And so she, she went and we did everything that we could do to, to ensure that she could have that opportunity to be at home and be a stay at home mom and take care of kids and do those things. And there were people even, even as recent as a couple of years ago who would look at her and just tell her that, that she was moving backwards. Her thinking was backwards and that she was, she was moving backwards from all the things that women had had established in this world. You know, our our society has spoken a lot lately on the role of women. Uh, in the late 90s, the SBC put out their New Baptist Faith and Message with their statement on the family. And a lot of people were angered by it. And a lot of people weren't angered by it. But they, they were talking about where women, they think women should be, and what their role is in the, in the life of the church and the family. Um, we've had rep, women presidential candidates we have had women do all sorts of things. People talk about the glass ceiling all the time and how it still exists, but, but it's becoming less and less. The role of women has been talked about in our society quite a bit. And the truth is, we are in a series that also deals with that. Our series, uh, and God created woman, the great and not so great women of the Bible. And the text this morning is a text that really deals with both the role of women in society and the significance of a person. You know, we are in the book of Judges again this morning. Now, Judges is one of those books that is, it's like a holding place at, at, at times. They, they've come out of the, the conquest of Canaan. They've come out of the Exodus. They've come into the land, and, and Joshua at the beginning of Judges passes. He's, he's gone. And chapter 2 literally says in one spot, 
that every man did what was evil in God's sight. And so in the book of Judges, you would have men falling away from what God wants them to do, them realizing where they were at because people would come in and, and take over. God would, they would cry out to God. God would send in a judge who would, who would help them and bring them back to where they needed to be and place them back where they wanted to be. And they continued on in the same way. Well, one of those judges was a woman. And her name was Deborah. Literally, the Hebrew word there means honeybee. Now, a judge was one who would uh, rescue Israel, but also one who would pronounce things, the rights and wrongs of, of what was going on. And that was what Deborah was known for, was sitting there in her tree, and she would pronounce the right or wrong of a situation and make judgments. And so maybe she was the honeybee because it would sting if you didn't like what she said, or it would be sweet if you did. We don't know, but that is one way that it could be her name. But we find our text this morning in the book of Judges, and the fourth chapter. And so we are going to read that this morning in its entirety as we hear about the story of Deborah and another woman, Jael. And so it says there in Judges chapter 4, The Israelites again did what was evil on the side of the Lord after Ehud had died. So the Lord sold them into the land of Jabin, king, hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his forces was Sisera, who lived in Harosheth of the nations. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord, because Jabin had 900 chariots, and he harshly oppressed them 20 years. Debrin, Deborah, a woman who was a prophetess, and the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. It was her custom to sit under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her for judgment. She summoned Barak, son of Abinoam, from Kadesh in Naphtali. And she said to him, Hasn't the Lord God of Israel commanded you? Go, deploy the troops on Mount Tabor and take with you 10,000 men from the Naphtalites and the Zebulonites. Then I will lure Sisera, commander of Jabin's forces, his chariots and his army into the Wadi Kishon to fight against you. And I will hand him over to you. Barak said to her, If you will go with me, I will go, but... If you will not go with me, I will not go. I will go with you, she said. But you will receive no honor on the road you are about to take, because the Lord will sell Sisera into a woman's hand. So Deborah got up and went with Barak to Kadesh. Barak summoned Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh. Ten thousand men followed him, and Deborah also went with him. Now Heber the Kenite had moved away from the Kenites, the sons of Hobab. Moses' father-in-law, and pitched his tent inside, beside the oak tree of Za'anamim, which was near Kadesh. It was reported to Sisera that Barak, son of Abinoam, had gone up Mount Tabor. Sisera summoned all his 900 iron chariots and all the people who were with him from Herosheth of the nations to the Wadi Kishon. Then Deborah said to Barak, Move on, for this is the day the Lord has handed Sisera over to you. Hasn't the Lord gone before you? So Barak came down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. The Lord threw Sisera, all his charioteers, and all his army into confusion with the sword before Barak. Sisera left his chariot and fled on foot. Barak pursued the chariots and the army as far as Herosheth of the nations, and the whole army of Sisera fell by the sword. Not a single man was left. Meanwhile, Sisera had fled on the foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, because there was peace between Jabin, king of Hazor, and the family of Heber the Kenite. Jael went out to greet Sisera and said to him, Come in, my lord. Come in with me. Don't be afraid. 
So he went into her tent, and she covered him with the rug. He said to her, Please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. She opened a container of milk, gave him a drink, and covered him again. Then he said to her, Stand at the entrance of the tent. If a man comes and asks you, Is there a man here? Say no. While he was sleeping from exhaustion, Heber's wife, J.L., took a tent peg, grabbed a hammer, and went silently to Sisera. She hammered the peg into his temple and drove it into the ground, and he died. When Barak arrived in pursuit of Sisera, Jael went out to greet him and said to him, Come and I will show you the man you're looking for. So he went in with her and there was Sisera lying dead with the tent peg through his temple. That day God subdued Jabin, king of Canaan, before the Israelites. The power of the Israelites continued to increase against Jabin, king of Canaan, until they destroyed him. Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you and we praise you for your blessings. Father, we ask right now that you would take this time and use it for your glory. Father, use me as a vessel. May the words that I speak be yours and yours alone. Father, we thank you and we praise you. And we ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus, and for his sake. And all God's people said, Amen. You know, this is one of those great little stories and how it happens and how it occurs and everything that's going on. And you see it. You, you, you see the poetry here. You see what happens. And, and you see all the, the types and the figures. And, and Israel finds themselves... In this spot, again, where they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. And someone has been brought up and raised up to put them back into place. And they have come in and begun to take over Israel. They have begun to subject them to to labor and things like that. And so they cry out to God again. And God tries to raise up a judge. Now, our, our, our series is supposed to be all about the women. But our first point this morning comes from the man and how he reacts to the woman. Because Deborah calls Barak and she calls in and she says, Okay, God is saying to do this. God is saying you need to go and bring your men. You need to go and do what needs to be done because when you do that, victory will be yours. And Barak says, Well, I don't know about that. See, the, fact, the thing we find out from, he, from this is, when we fail to follow God's command, we may forfeit some of God's reward. You know, here it is. Deborah says, hasn't God told you to get your people together? Hasn't God told you, not just the Lord, the God of Israel, go deploy troops on Mount Tabor and take with you 10,000 men. It's very specific what he's supposed to do. Deborah says, hasn't he told you this? God was seeking to raise up Barak. God was seeking to make him a judge, make him a high man, make him in his name go down in history as the one who saves Israel. But his lack of faithfulness kept him from the blessing that God had for him. You know, he was supposed to be written down as the man who took on Sisera and won. He was supposed to be the man who got all the glory. He was supposed to be the man who got all the prize and all the things that went along with that. Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't bless those who aren't faithful. What I am saying is we might not receive the full blessing. You know, God God blesses us because he loves us. But if we're not where we're supposed to be, we may not get the full blessing that God has for us. There was a, a youth pool party a few years ago. Uh, right after we had Micah. So Micah was too little to go. And 
Carrie stayed home with Shiloh and Micah, and I went to the youth pool party. And I was there, and I was I was the male sponsor, so I was helping our, our female youth minister take care of those things, and I, I didn't want to leave yet. And so Carrie had called me and said, well, I have dinner ready. And I said, okay, well, just keep mine in the oven. I will eat when I get home. And she said, but, but you, you, you'll, you'll like it. You need to come home. And I said, I've got to be here. I can't come home yet. Keep mine in the oven. When I come home, I'll eat it. And so she said, okay. And she was very distraught, and I didn't know why. Well, unbeknown to me, Carrie was at home making my favorite fried chicken. And so she was just about finished. It was coming out of the pan. It was hot. It was fresh. It was ready. But because I didn't come home at the best time that Carrie had set out for me, I didn't get the best. I still got blessed. I still had good fried chicken when I got home. I still got to eat what I wanted. But I didn't get the fresh fried chicken. I didn't get it fresh out of the pan. I didn't get to have that. That's, that's, that was so sad. I got a blessing, but I didn't get the best blessing. Sometimes, when we don't have the faithfulness to follow God, we're not going to have the full reward. You know, Barak is still remembered. He's still remembered as a military man. He's still remembered as brave. He's still written here in the book of Judges. He's still remembered as defeating the army of Sisera, and every man was killed. He's still remembered for that. But the true glory came to someone else. The true glory, the true reward came to to someone else who got that final blow. You know, when we step out and follow God faithfully, we get the full reward. God blesses us because He loves us, but when we're not faithful, sometimes we forfeit part of that best reward. So, Barak shows up. Deborah says to him, "Have, Have you, has God not commanded you? And he says, well, yeah, um, uh, well, uh, I'll go, but only if you go. (laughs) You know, with Deborah here, we see that if we claim something God wants us to do, we have to have the faith to act upon it. Deborah was a woman. She wasn't a warrior. She wasn't Xena, warrior princess. She wasn't Joan of Arc. She was a woman who sat under a palm tree giving judgments of what needed to happen in Israel. That's who she was. That's all she did. She wasn't a warrior. She wasn't a a soldier. She was a judge. But yet, in an effort to get out of doing what, what God had called him to do, Barak says, okay, I'll, I'll go, but, but I'll only go if you'll go. And, but Deborah said yes. You know, when we claim something God wants us to do, we have to have the faith to act upon it. Deborah said yes, even when challenged by Barak with his lack of faith. Sure, I'll go. I know God wants it done. It's really easy to see that in church life sometimes. Here's how it happens in church life. You ready? Brother Troy, you know... I really think that we need to be doing X. Can you find somebody to start up an X ministry? Sure. You want to head up that committee? That needs to be our answer, right? 
We need to turn that around and say, okay, if you want X done, have the faith to be in charge of X. If you want to do that, that's what we need to do. If there was somebody else who was supposed to do it, God would tell them about it. God would have impressed it upon them. You know, God hardly ever goes to somebody else to get somebody to do something. If you feel that God really wants X ministry in this church, then step up and say, hey, can I lead X ministry? That's tough. We don't like hearing that. That doesn't go go with our good Baptist vibes. But it's true. It's so easy for us to say, well, I think God wants us to do this, but he doesn't want me to be in charge of it. Then why are you bringing it up? Because God hardly ever uses somebody else. And you're going to go, but he used Deborah. But he used Deborah. But read the text again. Read what happens here. Deborah said to Barak, hasn't God told you? God uses Deborah because evidently Barak hasn't been listening. I'm not saying that God won't come to you after he's been knocking on your door, he won't go to somebody else and say, go tell them. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that God's not going to reveal something to you that, that, that he's not also saying to them. It's never going to happen. You know, there have been multiple times I've gone on mission trips or, or we've done things with other churches or I've met other people. And I'll walk back from that trip and I'll say to somebody, you know, old so-and-so, they're called to youth ministry and they just don't know it yet. Man, you should tell them. No, I shouldn't. It's not my place to tell them. When God is ready for them to know that they're supposed to be a youth minister, God will let them know. I can't tell someone that they need to do this because God is telling them to do it if I'm not willing to go and do it with them. If I'm not there to help them through it. That's the truth. We have to be willing to do the things and walk through those things and have the faith to step out and follow through. You know, when we don't step out and follow through, when we don't step out and say the things that need to be said, when we tell somebody, this is what God needs to do, God wants to see this, and then we go, but somebody else needs to do it, we're failing. Because we need to be saying, okay, God, how do you want this to happen? What part do I have in this? I couldn't look at that young man that I knew was going to be called to youth ministry and say, you're called to youth ministry, son, because then he's going to go, well, what do I do with that? God would impress it upon him, but I couldn't be the one to tell him that because I wasn't going to be there to walk with him through it. And that's just how it happens. Deborah, when Barak said, okay, if you're so sure about this, I'll go, but only if you go. He never expected her to say yes. He didn't think she was going to say, let's go, but she said, let's go. And so we find out from her here that the leader who proves their faith through action is the leader people will follow. I find it interesting in verse 14 that the whole army of Israel that is, that is there is on the top of the mountain. They're on Mount Tabor waiting and Deborah gives the command. The woman gives the command. She's the one who says it. Not Barak, Deborah. And why was she the one giving the command? Because people would follow her. Sisera had 900 iron chariots. He was known to be ruthless and ugly. But yet 10,000 men went to fight his army in that valley when Deborah said go. Why? Because she came. 
because she stepped up and did what it was she needed to do. You know, the jobs that I've enjoyed in my life are, are the ones where my boss would get down in the trenches with you. I sat down one day trying to think of all the jobs that I've had and we lost count somewhere around 22. I mean, that's just, I've had a lot of jobs. That's just the nature of ministry sometimes. And, and the truth is, I've had jobs where I thoroughly enjoyed it. And they were the hardest jobs I've ever had. But I enjoyed it because my boss had no problem getting in the trench with me. My boss had no problem saying, here, let me help you with that. The bosses, the, the bosses that I wouldn't follow, the bosses that I wanted to get away from, were the ones who would just say, here, go do that. Go do this. Go take care of that. You know, leaders who will do what they're asking you to do are leaders people will follow. You can be a leader in the pew. You don't have to be a leader up here. You don't have to be singing in the, in the praise band. You don't have to do those things. You can be a leader from where you are. God can raise you up as a leader. But the truth is you have to be willing to do the things that you've said need to be done. You have to be willing to step out and go do the things you're asking people to do. If I said to you, God wants us to get rid of everything we own and go serve Him. And I go sit at home with all of my stuff. That's not going to sit very well with you. If I tell you we need to knock on every door in town and tell them about Jesus. But I never knock on any doors and I never talk about Jesus to anybody. That's not going to sit very well with you. It doesn't take a leader. It doesn't take a, a position. It doesn't take a title to be a leader. You can be a leader where you sit. You can be a leader in your pew. You can be a leader in your community. One of my favorite movies is Braveheart. Anybody watch Braveheart? Remember William Wallace? One of my favorite professors at Howard Payne was named after William Wallace. His name was, his name was William Wallace Roark. And his, his brother's name was Robert Bruce Roark, which was the, the, the other person in that movie, one of the people. And William Wallace was a commoner in the movie. He was a commoner in Scotland. And the monarchy, the royal blood, those people who had titles, began to do things that they didn't like. And throughout the story, William Wallace becomes a leader, this common man. And there comes this point where he is on his horse and people are starting to go home because they don't know that they can fight against England. And he says, Men of Scotland! <laughs> and he says, I am William Wallace. They said, I am not William Wallace. If William Wallace was here, he would consume the English. He's ten feet tall. And he gave all these descriptions of who he was. And he said, But I am William Wallace. And he gives a speech that rouses these people, this common man. And he says, they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom. You know, that's a great speech. He was a common man. He wasn't, he wasn't somebody who was royal by birth. He didn't have a nobleman's blood. He was a common person, but he became a leader. And he was such a leader that they had built up this hero person of who he was. This man on the horse couldn't possibly be William Wallace because he wasn't big enough, he wasn't strong enough, he wasn't supernatural enough, but that's not what made him a leader. What made him a leader is that he would go into the trenches with those who needed him 
and He would do the things He was calling other people to. The leader who proves their faith through action is the leader people will follow. And so, the men go down in the valley. God causes confusion to come upon the army of the enemy. They kill the entire army, but Sisera gets away. And Sisera runs off to a place that he thinks is a safe haven. He thinks is a place that he will not be harmed. And he meets J.L. And J.L. says, come on in. You're safe here. Don't be afraid. And she lays him down. She covers him with a rug. And he says, can I have some water? And she gets him some milk. Oh, she's treating him good. You're going to be safe. You're okay. You're okay. And then, he says, stand at the tent door. And if anybody shows up, ask if a man's here, tell him, tell him, tell him he's not. Okay. So she went outside the tent and she waited until she could hear him asleep. And she walked back in. She saw him on the floor. And she grabbed the tent peg. And she went (laughs) right through his head. You know, J.L. teaches us that a person's strength can't always be judged by their appearance or their station in life. J.L., was a woman. Sisera was a military commander. He was a man's man. He probably strutted into battle. I mean, he was he was it. He was the general patent of his time. People knew who this man was. Nobody had even heard of J.L. She's just a slight woman who lives in a tent with her husband out in the middle of nowhere. J.L. thought this woman surely would give him safety. Surely this woman is not a threat. But that woman was the end of him. You know, a person's strength can't be judged by their appearance or station in life. J.L. was much stronger than Sisera ever imagined her to be. When you look at David and Goliath, what happens? You had the little shepherd boy and you had the great big giant. What happens? That giant couldn't be counted on. Why? One stone. One stone in his forehead fell the giant. And the shepherd boy, he came out victorious. A person's strength can't be judged by their appearance or their station in life. We can't look at someone and say, well, I know you can't be really that strong because I know who you are. We can't be that person. Why? Because we know. We know that there is more to the story than just what someone looks like. We know we know that sometimes dynamite comes in small packages. We know. One of my favorite musicals. I'm a musical guy. I love Les Miserables. I absolutely love Les Miserables. And there is a character there. His name is Gavroche. He's a street urchin. He's a street rat. He's a little boy. And he sings a song in the midst of Les Miserables called Little People. And it's all a song about what little people can do. Because little people can do all sorts of things that big people don't give them credit for. We cannot look at someone and think because they come from a certain family, because they come from a certain demographic, or because they look a certain way that we can judge their strength or their worth. It is not 
It's not an ability we have. JL was a small woman. Sisera was a man's man and she was his end. She brought him to the end of his life and she nailed him to the ground. That's what she did. All because she had faith to follow God. You know, the truth of the matter is we find here that courage in the face of adversity is always rewarded. Deborah sings a song about JL. She sings a song about the victory. She sings a song and gives that praise. When we are, when you are, have the strength to stand when adversity comes, you'll be rewarded. Always. It always happens. You don't have to worry that you're not going to be rewarded. Because when we stand, the reward is there. The Bible tells us that in the last days, there will be people who will not put up with sound doctrine. You know what? I have a feeling we're there. People don't want to hear sound doctrine. They want to say, water down your message. But the problem is that's never going to happen. I'm always going to preach the Bible for what the Bible is, the Word of God. I'm always going to call a sin a sin. I'm always going to call a failure a failure. But I'm going to be the first one to give grace and mercy to those who call out upon the name of the Lord. That is what it means to have courage. You know, we live in a time right now when we are so divided. We're more divided than we've ever been. There is more division in our society and in our world than we've ever had before. There is so much division. But God can heal that if we'll let him. You know, maybe this morning, maybe you have been living your life like Barack. Maybe you've been afraid to do the things that God is telling you to do. And you've been waiting for somebody else to tell you, hasn't God said? Now's the time to get past that. Maybe this morning, you want to have faith like Deborah to go, even whenever you shouldn't go. Even whenever you don't have the tools to go, but you have the faith because you know God said do it. Step out and do it. Maybe this morning you have been misjudged your entire life. Maybe people have watched you your entire life and said, she's too small, he's too little. They come from the wrong side of the tracks. They don't make enough money. They make too much money. Maybe you've been judged in some way. Let that go. Because God doesn't look at outward appearance. He looks at the heart. But maybe today you're looking for courage. Maybe you're looking for courage to stand and to say, I will stand in the face of adversity knowing that God is always right. Maybe today you just want to pray. This will be the time. Maybe, maybe you've never known Jesus as your Savior. Maybe you've never taken that step. I'm going to pray in a minute. Say the words with me. But wherever you're at, whatever you need, let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you and we praise you for your blessings. Father, we ask right now that you would remind us of the truths your text contained today. Father, if anyone here does not know you as Savior, let them pray with me now. Father, I know I'm a sinner. Father, I know I need a Savior. Be with me. Wash me clean. Be Lord of my life. Forgive me of my sins. Thank you, Jesus. Be with us now, Father. We ask all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus, and for his sake. Amen. Guys, that's, that's all we have today. Next week, we will be doing a live stream here in the sanctuary. We'll have our we'll have 9 o'clock service, Fellowship Hall. 
11 o'clock service here. Tell me which one you're going to be at so we can make sure we're doing the things we need to do. Guys, I'm excited. I hope you are too. Nothing for you else today, this week, but be blessed this week. Until next time, love each other deeply from the heart. See you next week.